Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. When our producer, Justin Stein, and I were preparing for the season, I typed out two words that I wanted to tie to the podcast this year, diverse and thoughtful. We've been working towards that goal the last few months, and we continue that today with interviews with two women working in baseball analytics. Emily Curtis is in her third year with the Mariners, where she first worked as an intern. She's a 2016 graduate of the University of Oklahoma with a master's in applied mathematics from the University of Washington. She was on a women in baseball panel along with several other analysts this past Sunday on Zoom. There will be a second session this coming Sunday organized by Megan Chaka of Staff Leads and Amanda Glazer with the San Francisco Giants. We'll give information on that at the end of the interview. Emily, thank you for joining us. First off, uh, introduce yourself to our audience a little bit broader than uh, I just did. Explain where you're from, who you are, and what you do. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I guess just a little bit of an introduction here. I am from Norman, Oklahoma. I grew up uh, and I stayed for my undergraduate degree, went to the uh, University of Oklahoma. And then, like you said, I went to, I, I moved to Seattle. Um, I've always been a, a baseball fan. I uh, grew up watching the St. Louis Cardinals. My dad and his whole family are, are from St. Louis. And so just grew up watching the, the Cardinals with my dad and had always really loved the game. Um, also really loved math. Uh, I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in math from the University of Oklahoma. And, you know, I'd kind of considered working in baseball. Wasn't really sure if there was a path for me. Considering how few jobs there were and how few women I I saw in these kinds of positions, I decided that I was going to try to go a more general data science route. So that brought me to Seattle. Uh, I got my master's in applied math and started kind of applying for data science jobs. And during this time, I still had like a really great passion for baseball. I was doing some independent research on the side, you know, just thinking about baseball a lot um, and was just continuing to iterate through these questions that just from the game that I was thinking about. And then I was applying for these data science jobs. I remember very distinctly a specific job interview I had. It was just for a general data science position. And they asked me to talk about some of the independent research I'd been doing. Um, and so I talked about this baseball project that I'd been working on on the side. And I remember just talking with so much passion and excitement. And then they asked me, why do you want to work here? And I had so much trouble answering that question. Um, and it was kind of in that moment, I remember coming home after that interview and talking to my, my now husband and just saying, you know, I really think it's worth it for me to give it a shot to try to work in baseball. So uh, at the time, I was still in grad school, and I, I applied for the Mariners Analytics Internship. Wasn't really looking for opportunities outside of Seattle, just because I was still in grad school, and my, my husband was working here in Seattle, and so I, I wasn't really interested in leaving. And uh, initially, I was actually rejected for the position with the Mariners. And then I kind of reached back out to, to Jesse Smith, who is, is now my boss, and just asked for some feedback from my my submission and, and wanted to know kind of where I could improve. And he actually let me know that they had someone leave and they had a couple more opportunities open. And so he invited me to fill, you know, do the data set and continue my application with the Mariners. And then I started as an analyst with the Mariners in, in June of 2018, right after I graduated with my master's degree from UW. So. All right. So uh, you just said something that I, w- I wanted to pick up on. Um, just, a lot of, I think, our conversation is going to be advice uh, for people here. And persistence is a big thing here. Uh, the fact that you were initially 
rejected, and then you followed up and you and you wound up getting it. Is is that something that you're big on advising people about uh, with regards to especially pursuing something in baseball? Yeah, I think that's definitely really important. Um, in my specific case, Jesse was really open about you know when he when I got the initial you know rejection email, he in that email said you know feel free to reach out if you have any questions about your application or you know whatever and. I felt really comfortable kind of reaching out because he'd kind of opened the door, but I would encourage people just, you know, there's no hurt in sending that email, you know, asking for feedback. One of the things that I think about aside from just persistence uh, that I think is really useful for me and I would encourage a lot of people to think about is continuing to improve, continuing to learn. Um, I think that has taken me a long way from, you know, when I was applying to jobs and to where I am now is just, I'm constantly wanting to be better and I'm constantly wanting to learn and improve. And part of me reaching out to Jesse more so than just, you know, seeing if there was still a door open with him was just, how can I be better? What can I do to, to afford myself better opportunities in the future? Um, so I think that's definitely a piece of advice that I could give. What's an example of a skill that you picked up after the fact? I think there are a lot of skills that have kind of evolved for me. One is definitely my communication skills have improved a lot just in the way that I talk about technical concepts um, to other analysts or even to other people in the organization. And this is something that we touched on some in the event on Sunday, but just the way that you talk with even especially non-technical folks. So coaches, and I work a lot with the medical staff in the work that I do with the Mariners. So medical trainers and strength and conditioning coaches, just the ability to communicate. I've definitely grown leaps and bounds there. I think also on the job, my technical skills have just really grown a lot. And in the context of like working in an MLB front office, my familiarity with the game, with the game of baseball and my understanding of, you know, the intricacies of it are far and away, you know, deeper uh, than they were when I started. So I think across the board, I've definitely experienced a lot of growth. You alluded to um, your responsibilities. What specifically are your responsibilities and how are duties uh, divvied up among the different people that work in the Mariner Analytics Department? Great question. So the way that it kind of works, a lot of our analysts that we have with the Mariners now started as interns. Almost all of our analysts start as, as interns. And so when you come on as an intern, you have a conversation with, with Jesse, the director of analytics, about kind of what project you're interested in. And it's, of course, like um, it's a conversation about what the intern is interested in working on and also what the department needs. So when I came in, I had a lot of interest in pitcher injury prediction. I, I had read an article. I think it was on fan graphs. I don't even remember the name of the article now, but several years ago, I'd read some article about... Um, pitcher injury analysis and was really interested in it. And so I asked Jesse if that was something that I could work on. And he said, go for it. You know, there's no one else in the department who's working on that. So feel free. And I think a lot of my other coworkers have had similar, similar kind of situations. I know Joel Furman um, is a, another, you know, in the analytics department with us, with the Mariners. And he started out doing a lot of pitching research um, and analysis. And so he has kind of like established himself as the, the person who does a lot of our, our pitch analysis. And so I think a lot of it has just happened organically. Um, the way that we built off of that project, we've created kind of niches for ourselves. Um, so it's not something that's very, you know, distributed in an explicit way. It's just 
what we want to work on and what the department needs. And it kind of happens organically from there. You work with a general manager, Jerry DePoto, who's very analytically inclined, a former player on top of that, and very busy in terms of the volume of moves that he's historically made. Uh, How do the analysts and the baseball ops people work in sync? We have a really close relationship um, with a lot of the baseball operations folks and with, uh, with Jerry and with Justin Hollander, our assistant general manager as well. I think when it comes specifically to trades and acquisitions, there's often a really open conversation from Jerry and Justin and Jesse to us in in the analytics department, just about the moves that we're interested in making. They will often ask us and and talk to us about, you know, players on, on teams that we are interested in trading with, about if we have any players that we're particularly interested in. There's definitely an open flow of communication there. We also tend to do like larger meetings when it comes to, you know, bigger baseball operations events. So like close to the trade deadline or the winter meetings, we'll have, there, we will have several analysts that will be part of those discussions when we're talking about who we're interested, who we're interested in signing for um, like six-year free agents or in the Rule 5 draft even. Our analysts are definitely integrated into those conversations as well. So on Sunday in this conference that that we were both at, you did a presentation and everyone did their own uh, presentation. Uh, There's going to be more presentations at the next one. Explain, you did a process, a presentation explaining the process by which a question is developed and an answer is produced. Can you summarize that for us, condense it into a, a minute or two explanation? What I just wanted to give folks was an idea of how data travels through the organization. So, of course, we start with an observation on the field. You know, the the player will do something and we collect that and we store it internally. And then there's some sort of question, like you alluded to. There's a question, whether it's from the analyst or whether it's from a coach or, or a front office member, an executive, who will ask, you know, something from the data. So as an analyst, we're responsible for pulling the relevant data and then attempting to answer that question using the data to the best of our ability. And once we've found an answer to that question, after we've processed all the data and done any analysis that we're going to do, whether that's, you know, modeling or creating a visual or even just like putting together a report or sending an email, we'll communicate that to the relevant person. So that could be back to the coach and then the coach could take that finding and communicate it back to the player. Or it could be like we were talking about a little bit earlier, if that question is relevant in an acquisition, we could bring that back to Jerry or Justin and they could use it in their trade negotiations or in, in their evaluation of an acquisition. And so it continues to iterate. It's, it's like a cycle. We continue answering these questions and the players continue generating data and we have new questions. We evaluate the same questions and it just kind of continues to cycle. All right. We can take, I want to take player, the names of players or people out of this, but is there an example of a question that you found particularly thoughtful or interesting or a question that was just kind of out of left field that, that produced a really interesting kind of answer? That's really interesting. The question that I am thinking about a lot, um, and this is the example that I used on Sunday, is how can we keep our pitchers healthy? And how can we, you know, predict and prevent pitcher injury? And so that's a question that I'm thinking about all the time and continues to be really interesting to me. Um, As far as like a, a question from a coach, you know, we'll get questions like from, you know, from our 
double A coach, how, how should we best most effectively put together our batting order? Those are the kinds of questions that we'll get sometimes, or, you know, more related to some of the work that I do with pitcher injury. What's the difference in risk between, uh, having a starter pitch every fifth day and every sixth day. Those are the kinds of questions that we'll get. And those are really interesting to answer. I think. What are the challenges of trying to put together the different uh, models that you have to put together? And what are the things that you have to know in order to do stuff like that? That's a really good question. So I guess just going through the process of building a model, the first step is knowing what the question is and knowing what format you want your answer to be in. And so once you have that kind of figured out, the next step is putting together what your input is going to look like. So all of the data that you're putting together that you're going to pull um, and getting it in the right format that it's going to be useful and clean enough to put into a modeled format. The next part, which I think is something that we're all constantly trying to develop a lot is knowing what type of model to use. Um, And this is something, you know, when you're talking about learning and growth that I know I have learned and developed a lot over my time with the Mariners. I remember early on being with the Mariners I would think about my inputs and my outputs and I would Google, you know, what type of model should I use for this type of input? Um, And this is some of the stuff that you learn in school. And of course, like talking with other analysts, you develop a really good feel for this. Um, But there are lots of online resources available that are helpful um, just to try to figure out what type of model to use. This is what my input is. This is what I want my output to look like. How do I put together a model? And once you have that figured out, I think particularly challenging is interpreting that model. Depending on what model type you used, I think this might be the biggest challenge of all is knowing what that answer means. Because especially in the context of doing baseball-related research and working in an MLB front office, if I tell a trainer, this particular uh, relief pitcher is very high risk today, the first thing that he's going to ask me is why? And I have to be able to answer that question. And so I think in modeling, that is maybe the biggest challenge is knowing how to interpret the model, knowing when to use which model, depending on how important interpreting the model is and how much of a trade-off you want to do between, you know, error, for example, and interpretability. Um, So I would say that's probably the biggest challenge. And you mentioned, okay, the trainer's on the other end of this, and he has to be able to grasp everything that you're saying. So you have to kind of take the mumbo jumbo from that and put it aside and and make it very clear for him, right? Or her, right? Yes, exactly. That's really important. And so not only is it, I need to be able to interpret the model as a trained analyst, but I need to be able to take the results of the model, interpret them myself, and also be able to communicate them to someone who has no analytical background. And so that's really important here in in building a model is making sure you can put together a visual or some sort of, you know, communication tool to help the folks on the other side be able to use the results. Now, in the thing that we were at on Sundays, one of the other presenters went through how she was dealing with that. And she gave the example of, I'm going to say it, a poop emoji uh, as something that, that she would present. Do, do you ever have to get like very like pop culture-y or, or very kind of, I guess, the, the language being something that, that they'll grasp, like finding analogies uh, that, that work for, for, for a conversation like that? 
Sure. Yeah. I don't think that I've used pop culture in the same way. I think the best analogy here is that I use a lot of color, especially in, you know, in, in risk injury, you know, injury risk. And when I'm presenting that to the coaches, my report includes a lot of color, you know, red, high risk. This is what this means. Just so that it's easy for them to interpret, you know, they're doing a lot down there. They've got a lot going on. They have a lot of knowledge and understanding outside of just what I'm, you know, providing for them. So if they can look at a piece of paper or a report or something and they can see, okay, this reliever, this is red. That means that's bad. And I think just communicating in that kind of way has really made things really easy for us. I want to shift gears slightly and talk about the increase in women working in baseball analytics. And uh, one of the cool things about this event uh, is that there seem to be a lot of fresh faces, uh, a lot of new people in the field, and a lot of uh, women uh, now in the field and, and working in, uh, in MLB front offices. And there was even a, a mental sk- uh, skills coach uh, on the presentation group as well. What have you seen with regards to that, both in your process trying to get the job and in now the three years that that you've been there and the growth that you're seeing in this area? Um, It was really great to connect to the other women that were on the panel the other night. We're definitely seeing more women in the field, but there's still a long way to go. Um, And being with the Mariners for a few years now, I'm more involved in our hiring practices and some of the other things that we're doing to try to create a really diverse and inclusive environment. And I would say it's really important that we do a lot to try to get more women involved in the sport, but also people of color, non-binary and trans folks as well. And a lot of that starts with, you know, being really visible, something that, you know, I talked about before when I was talking about my own path, I didn't see other women working in baseball when I was considering this as a career. So, you know, just making sure that folks who are coming up see people who look like them is really important to me. And also making sure that we're creating really open, welcoming, and inclusive environments once they get there. And that's something that's been really important to me with the with the Mariners is making sure that the environment that I'm working in now is an environment I would want other women and people of color to be a part of. So I think about that a lot in my day-to-day. And also just what we can do to, uh, you know, make our positions more financially accessible is something that's really important. There are lots of things that we can do that even on a smaller scale, making sure that our uh, job postings are really inclusive, using inclusive language and are not, you know, putting qualifications there that are not necessary. So just across the board, I think there's a lot of work to be done in this space. We have seen a lot of improvement recently. There are more women, um, but there's a lot more that we can do to improve the diversity in in this industry. I often talk about how my favorite part of the job here uh, at SIS is solving the mystery, uh, being able to answer the question and um, come up with a reason why someone's good, why someone's bad, why something is happening in baseball. Uh, What's your favorite part of of the job uh, as someone who is so into baseball and so into mathematics? I always say that my favorite part of this job is building tools that help other people make better decisions. I don't know that I'm always someone who wants to make the decisions myself, uh, but I really like using the data, using any information that we have to help 
other people integrate it into their work and their decision making. And that's something I've really enjoyed doing with the Mariners. And what sort of uh, recommendations do you have to aspiring students who want to have a job like the one that you do? There's the traditional answer, which is, you know, learn Python or R, uh, which is always (laughs) a good thing to do. um, And I would definitely encourage you to do that. Um, I know before I applied for my job with the Mariners, something that I did that I think was really helpful was just in like really immersing myself into baseball. So that meant doing a lot of reading about baseball. Um, I was listening to podcasts about baseball, um, all kinds of things that just, just spending a lot of my time thinking about baseball. I remember going to dinner, you know, with my husband and we would spend time just talking about baseball, questions that we had, things that we wondered, or, you know, watching baseball with my family. Uh, A lot of my family members like to ask, you know, what you might consider to be relatively absurd questions about baseball, such as like, if a player hits a home run, and then, you know, passes out on the base paths, what (laughs) happens? Or if a player hits the ball in the air, and, um, you know, the skin splits from the inside of the ball does the fielder have to catch both parts or just one of the parts or one of my personal favorites what happens if the batted ball hits a bird uh or the pitch hits a bird which i was happy to be able to you know share with them that that actually has already happened yes (laughs) um so just i guess just thinking about baseball all the time and really immersing yourself in it uh has is the best advice that I can give, um, you know, for aspiring folks. Little piece of trivia for those that are frequent listeners. We just had Benji Molina as one of the guests on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. Benji Molina hit a home run and got injured uh, in the process and was not able to complete his path around the bases. Someone else was able to take his place and uh, score the run. We did not ask him about that, but it's funny that it comes up again. All right, let, let's end on a, on a Mariner note. Let's talk, let's talk Mariners just for a minute here. The most impressive thing from the start of the season has been the play of uh, Kyle Lewis. Uh, and this was something that was kind of foreshadowed a little bit last season with the way that he came up and he looked very impressive uh, in his time out. This year, it was funny. I was looking at his uh, combined numbers from, from the two seasons and it's like when he hits the ball, he's hitting like 500 or something ridiculous like that. What analytic take can you give us on uh, Kyle Lewis that we've seen so far? Kyle Lewis has certainly been a real highlight uh, for the last few weeks for us. We've been really excited to watch him. Um, I was not with the organization when he was drafted, but just following his path these last few years has been really exciting. Coming back from that knee injury, we weren't sure exactly you know what things were going to look like. And I think one of the real highlights uh, for us has been his ability to play center field. That wasn't really something that we were sure, you know, confident he was going to be able to do, but just looking at him out there, he has done an excellent job. As far as like analytically, um, I, I think the most important thing that we've been able to do was last year in his performance, there were times when he was, do, he, he was doing what exactly what he's doing now, hitting the ball really hard, but was having some trouble, um, just was a little bit unlucky about where it was going. And so, you know, last year, our messaging to him was really important, letting him know that process wise, he was doing everything absolutely right. And then he needed to continue to hit the ball really hard. um, And that we expected that he would have success if he, you know, continued on that path. And it's really cool now to see at the major league level, the the kind of success that he's having, especially when he's able to connect with the baseball. Um, 
has been really exciting to see. Uh, and we really hope that that continues for him. Yep. We hope for continued success from him, continued success from you as well. Uh, Emily, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much, Mark. We'll be back with Kiri Oler of the Phillies in just a moment. For the latest in defensive stats and information, check out FieldingBible.com. This website features updated player run-save totals and insight into their performance at a given position. The site also features an explanation of our new parts statistical evaluation system and a history of winners for the annual Fielding Bible Awards. Check out FieldingBible.com and you'll become a smarter baseball fan. Kiri Oler is a quantitative analyst with the Phillies. She is a 2011 graduate of the University of Idaho with a double major in math and English and has a master's degree from Johns Hopkins in security informatics. She's worked in computer security and is a college professor and previously worked in the Twins R&D group. She's been with the Phillies for uh, about a year and a half. Like Emily, she was on the Women in Baseball Zoom panel last Sunday. Uh, Kiri, thanks for joining us. Uh, Introduce yourself to our listenership in terms of who you are, where you're from, uh, what you do, and how your interests in uh, math and baseball kind of came together. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, as you said, I'm I'm Kiri. I'm currently a quantitative analyst for the for the Phillies. So my job is to help our big league coaching staff with whatever research questions they have. Prior to that, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, kind of all over out there. So I just throw that blanket statement out there. <laughs> so I uh, studied both English and math during undergrad, which was sort of just born of the fact that I've always really liked those two subjects, which is uncommon, I understand, but I've always been really, really drawn to both both of them. And that sort of um, has always been a balance that I've tried to strike throughout my career is having the more creative side alongside the more like concrete analytical side and baseball is a really good balance of both of those things for me because it allows me to combine the analytical knowledge when applying that to to data within the game and then also sort of some creativity and communication stuff when I get to talk to the coaches about it. What was your path to getting a job uh, in baseball first with the Twins and now with the Phillies? Yeah so while I was teaching um, I really enjoyed getting to interact with the students. But what I kind of missed from that job was the research side of things. And so I took some of the skills that I had been previously applying to cybersecurity data and started applying those to baseball data. I always enjoyed baseball and was spending a lot of time watching and thinking about baseball anyways. So I applied some of those techniques to to some baseball data and was just kind of doing my own research on the side for fun wound up presenting one of my projects at Sabre Seminar. And then based on that, some teams reached out. And so that's how I wound up on a one-year fellowship at the Twins. And then after that, came over to the Phillies. All right. So now in uh, you mentioned that you work uh, with the Phillies coaching staff. What are your responsibilities and how are the duties divvied up within the department? I'm sort of the liaison between our research and development part- department and the coaching staff. We have some other sort of subsections of, of R&D that service different parts of the organization. So we have some people that are more focused on player development. We have some people who focus on scouting, um, some people who focus on like more on the ops side and player acquisition. So my job is to basically like any requests that come from the coaching staff, anything that they're curious about or anything that we think of that would be applicable to the big league club, like that all kind of flows through me. And I can't, I don't do all of it myself. I delegate some of it out, um, but I just sort of manage that flow 
is an example of something like that defensive shifting and trying to figure out those sorts of things? Yeah, yeah. So like defensive shifting, any tactical stuff. So like with the new extra innings rule, we got asked to do a little bit of research on some different different strategies that could be applied there and sort of figure out what's optimal, especially given our current roster. Philly's uh, coaching staff made some changes this year with uh, Joe Girardi replacing Gabe Kapler uh, as manager. What has been your experience both, I guess, with the Twins and the Phillies in uh, the communication from from one end, yours, to the other end, theirs? Yeah, it, it varies a little bit. One thing that I've been really fortunate of the whole time I've been with the Phillies is they have really valued people who are kind of already bought in on analytics. So fortunately, we don't have to do a, a ton of selling in terms of piquing their interest. There has been a little bit of variation just in terms of their background coming in. So like with Kapler, he was very like proactive about it. He had a lot of like really well-formed questions already. He'd already done a lot of his own research and reading. So the communication was a little bit different then as opposed to now. Joe's also very like pro using using data, but just, you know, age differences and just differences in background. You have to kind of tailor your messaging a little bit. And he is more open to like us bringing him ideas, which is great. Um, not that Kapler wasn't open to that, but Kapler just had so many of his own ideas that there was, it was just a lot. You mentioned information communication, and that was a big point of emphasis in the talk that you gave on uh, Sunday at this conference. Why is that subject important to you, and why is it so important to what you try to do? So one of the things that was made really clear to me back when I was teaching math at, at the college level is I would get a lot of students coming in, and the level that I taught was was algebra, and it was actually high school level algebra, but because it was I was teaching at a community college. We had a lot of non-traditional students who hadn't taken math in a while, or maybe they were coming straight out of high school, but they just didn't do well in math in high school. And so they were they were taking this algebra class and they came in with a lot of like preconceived like feelings about math and were oftentimes pretty scared of math or just didn't like it. And they had been told or convinced themselves somewhere along the way that they were bad at math and that wasn't true. And so one of the things that I really enjoyed was like finding different ways to unlock the part of their brain that could process math that they hadn't found yet. And a lot of that has to do with like changing up the variety of different ways you can teach math. There's a really traditional kind of one size fits all approach to teaching math that uh, used to be the only way that math was taught. I think it's changing and evolving a little bit more now, but it used to be there would just be a teacher that would stand at the front of the room and put equations on the board and it'd be very symbol heavy and not very accessible. And especially if you're a visual learner, that's a really hard way to, to learn. And so math curriculums weren't doing a lot to cater to all the different learning styles. And so one thing that I really liked to do was to try and switch things up and, and use different, different techniques to help my students find math more accessible. So using videos and visuals and metaphors and storytelling as a as a way of teaching and talking about math was something that they hadn't been exposed to before and it made it a lot friendlier to them and so now being in baseball there are people who have been in the game a long time who maybe aren't used to using analytics and that's totally fine and but they might be hesitant for whatever reason and 
so having an arsenal of different techniques and different ways to talk to them about technical content is really, really valuable. And on the flip side, like if you don't have those techniques in your arsenal, sometimes you can just like push people away from the content even more. And so if you can't get that buy-in, then like all this work that I'm spending a lot of time in doesn't get used. And that's a really bad feeling. Right. Classic example would be like something like if you had a chart with like 12 numbers on it and three decimal points on each number, uh, I would think that that would be uh, challenging uh, to try and get across to someone. Is is condensing uh, numerical information a, a big part of what you do? Yeah. Yeah. And it really, it depends on the audience. Like a lot of people don't like to look at big like tables full of numbers but there there are people who do like we have a, a coach on our staff right now who prefers the table of numbers to a graph which i don't understand but that's the way he likes to learn and <laughs> process information so i'm totally fine with presenting it in that way if that's what works for him so visuals are really great like i said storytelling and and metaphors are are really great so if you can compare the metric or the number to something that's not a number for people who like don't process number well numbers well that's really helpful so when i've been to saber seminar in the past through the saber analytics conference in arizona or even the conference on sunday uh, i have kind of like a memory trick where i take one image or thought from a presentation and that opens the gateway to the entire presentation i have to tell you that for you the two words that come to mind poop emoji explain <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think it's great that you do that. And I think like that's one of the reasons I was really set on having that example in there is I wanted people to have like a really strong image to to take with them from the presentation because I was I was kind of short on time and I was editing my slides and I was like, oh, I could take out this example, but I really want to keep this other one in because it's <laughs> really vivid imagery. So that particular example came from um, uh, just a really short presentation that I did with our player development staff. So it was a bunch of our minor league coaches who have been taking some of their, their downtime before the season started to educate themselves some more on, on analytics, which was a really cool way for them to spend their time. I thought that was really awesome that they took the initiative to do that. So they were having different R&D members come in and go over different concepts with them. And we were basically explaining like the value and limitations of two different metrics. So one was an older school metric that was based on averages. And as you know, when you average things together, you lose some nuance there. So that was the metric that I compared to the poop emoji. Cause when you mix a bunch of colors together, it comes out Brown. Now that said, the poop emoji smiling, like there's some, there's some valuable information to be had there, but you do, you lose some nuance. And so while there is, value there and everybody loves a good bowel movement as the joke that I made during the, <laughs> the presentation. There's, there's more information to be had. It doesn't tell you the whole story because things get blended together. And so the more advanced metric was the rainbow emoji, which in the rainbow emoji, you can see all the different input features. Like they are still all distinct colors in the rainbow. And so it allows you to appreciate the nuance of the situation a little bit more. So I wish I had that uh, back in the time when I was working at ESPN, when I was trying to explain the difference between ERA and FIP to two different uh, major league pitchers. And I was looking for like, what's the right thing that, that I can give them that will open it up? And we got there, but it, it, was, it was pretty hard. And certainly the visual uh, aspect of it, I think, would, uh, would come into play. What's your favorite thing to do in the job? 
I mean, honestly, like that part where like you finish the research and then you have to kind of sit there and figure out like how you're going to present it to whoever the stakeholder is. Like that's, that's one of my favorite parts where I get to just sit and like creatively brainstorm and think, all right, like what's going to unlock this for them? Like that's, that's a really fun part of it for me because I just get to go be like my full weird and um, hopefully they like it. <laughs> but if I'm not enthusiastic about it, I can't get them to be enthusiastic about it. So like I have to find a way that's fun for me to tell it. And then I can usually, usually get them to feed off of my enthusiasm and, and jump into. Right. And there's proof that that worked on Sunday with the, the poop emoji and my interest in it. One of the things that I appreciated about this panel and the other one that's coming up on Sunday is seeing some fresh faces. Uh, women have made some inroads in baseball analytics. I noticed that the Phillies uh, have three full-time uh, women working uh, in the analytics department, R&D. Uh, what have you seen in your time in the field uh, with regards to the progress in that area, and what would be your message to women who want to pursue jobs in it? Especially in the last couple of years, we've seen we've seen a lot of progress and and teams like actually putting a, a focus on going out and recruiting women. I know within the Phillies that whenever we have a job opening, we try really hard to make sure that that posting is being made visible to different like women in baseball or women in tech groups that we're like going out and specifically recruiting not only women, but underrepresented groups within the game. Cause we really want those, those applicants there. And I think my biggest piece of advice is like, if you're reading a job posting and maybe you think you're not quite qualified to apply, just to just go ahead and apply anyways. Cause first of all, like, we think we know what we want in our applicants, but occasionally someone surprises us with something that we didn't even think of. So if you just give us your, just put your best foot forward and show us who you are, we might decide that's someone that we really like, even if it's not necessarily checking every single box on our, on our job posting. So just, just apply. <laughs> what, what's the diversity uh, in terms of what's in the, in, among the Phillies in terms of backgrounds uh, that led them to the positions that they're in? Yeah, we we actually have pretty diverse backgrounds, both in terms of the standard things like race and gender, but also just diverse backgrounds in terms of educational backgrounds and professional backgrounds. So we're not just hiring like people out of the Ivy Leagues and people who like interned for teams and just like sort of churning through people who have worked for other teams. Uh, we we have a bunch of, or we have a couple, I should say, uh, aerospace engineers and people who have worked in other industries or other worked for other sports before coming to the Phillies. So I think that sort of diversity of perspective is really valuable as well. So we don't just have like one type of person who thinks and figures things, we all think and figure things out the exact same way. We all take very different approaches to the problems and it it makes for really like interesting and valuable conversations when we're working through stuff together and collaborating. And if you're an English uh, and math major like yourself or an English journalism major like I was, I guess your message is uh, there's still a place for you here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, let's end with one Phillies topic. And we'll kind of leave this open-ended uh, because the Phillies have not, at the time that we're talking, the Phillies haven't played a lot of games uh, due to everything that's happened. So I'll leave this kind of broad. What 
intrigues you uh, about this season? Is there a particular player? You mentioned the, the rule changes earlier. Uh, is there a signing? Uh, is there something going on that you're particularly interested in following this year? Yeah, so one thing that like I'm really excited about, and this kind of hits on two of the topics that you mentioned, is Roman Quinn. Um, if you're familiar with him, you'll know he has sort of a checkered injury history, and so we haven't really got to see him like fully actualize on the field yet. And I think he's a really exciting player in a lot of ways. He's very like multi-dimensional in terms of what he can offer on both offense and defense. And then, like you were saying, talking about the rule changes, I think the extra innings rule makes having him on our roster particularly valuable because he can provide a stolen base threat. He's a strong base runner in general, even if he's not explicitly stealing. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see um, all the different ways that he can provide value this year. Yeah, the the, uh, the Dodgers uh, have added a player uh, similar to Roman Quinn. The Mets just got Billy Hamilton from the Giants. Team seems to be headed uh, in that direction with the ro- the roster expansion slightly uh, this season and potentially beyond. Uh, Kiri Oler, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us, and uh, best of luck in your future. We'll certainly uh, be keeping tabs. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. I want to give a shout-out to Brendan Kent over at the Measurables podcast. Brendan has started a mentorship program to help people in underrepresented communities find their way to sports analytics. Several members of SIS are participating and look forward to offering guidance. You can learn more about this at his Twitter, MeasurablesPod. Lastly, I enjoyed talking to Emily and Kiri the last couple of days. I wanted to point out another area where women are making inroads. On Tuesday night, Melanie Newman made her debut in the Orioles radio broadcast booth doing play-by-play of the Orioles-Marlins game. She's the fourth active female game broadcaster in Major League Baseball. There are more to come, with a number of women working in the minor leagues trying to carve a similar path to Melanie. We wish them good luck and hope to support them along the way. And this wraps up this episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thanks to Emily Curtis and Kiri Oler and our producer, Justin Stein. I'm Mark Simon. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.